Hi friends, as you are gathered this morning at worship here at First Lutheran Church, I am in Lincoln, Nebraska. In fact, I'm preaching this morning at Word of Life Lutheran Church in Lincoln. The pastor there is an old friend of mine, former football coach at Concordia University in Seward. I preach there now for three consecutive years. It's a, a, a neat little um, mission church, and we certainly enjoy being there. Of course, part of the reason I'm preaching in Lincoln today is because I'm at the College World Series. And yes, Miss Helen, if the horns get into the World Series, you see I will be wearing my Texas hat. Now, I apologize to people like Wayne and uh, Jimmy and those of you that are A&M fans. A&M might actually get in there, but I guarantee that if they make it, I'll buy an Aggie hat. But lest you think I've gone completely crazy, I do have my Nebraska hat to wear at most other games. You could take a boy out of Nebraska, but you can't uh, take Nebraska out of the boy. But we're continuing our message series on when you pray, and today we're going to take a look at God our Father, and this is really based on Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 where it says, Our Father in Heaven. Who is God? You know, the interviewer looked at me rather expectantly when I kind of fumbled for an answer. And since the cameras were rolling, I had to say something, so I, I went back and I said something that I had learned in the seminary many years ago. It was kind of like this. God is an infinite, personal, eternal God who created the entire universe by his own power. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent at all times, and he exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, as I thought back on that definition, I really like the first two words of my definition, God is. See, everything after that, while very true, just sounds like some recitation from some deep theological textbook. I remember going to a Promise Keepers at uh, Soldier Field in Chicago a number of years ago with men from our church, and one of my favorite preachers, Dr. E.V. Hill, was there, and he preached a sermon that was simply called, God Is. And in his own unforgettable style, you know, he pressed home the point by saying everything in the universe is here because God is. And every time he made another point, he would kind of sometimes whisper, sometimes shout, God is. Now, of course, he's right. See, if you figure that out, you've got a handle on life. Deny that fact and nothing else makes sense. Either God is God or he isn't. And if he is, that changes everything. Believe me, friends, if you know that God is and uh, that he is the great I am, you know the most fundamental truth in the universe. A number of years ago, a young couple came to see me with some good news. They had decided they wanted to become foreign missionaries. Their problem was they didn't know where they should go in the world. And I said, you know what I mean? You, in the whole wide world, you have no idea where God wants you to go? And they said, no, we don't have a clue. Now, as we talked, I said something like this. The reason you don't know now is because you don't need to know now. 
If you needed to know now, God would have shown you now. But since you don't need to know now, it must be true that you don't need to know now. Because when you do need to know now, you'll know now and not one minute sooner. If God is God, that must be true. Now, I'm not sure that that made a whole lot of sense, but the key phrase is, if God is God, this must be true. Now, a few months later, that young couple came back in, and they were really excited with news, uh, something that had happened through an unusual set of circumstances, and this is usually the way it happens. God had opened a door for them to go to Russia to work at a theological school close to the Black Sea. Now, when I talked to them earlier, they had no idea that even such a place existed, much less that they would be going there. But now, God had answered very clearly, and they were preparing to head out onto the mission field. In Psalm 81, verse 10, God gives us a wonderful invitation. It says, open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. Ask what you need, God says, and I will take care of it. You know, a number of years ago, I heard someone say that Jeremiah 33, verse 3, is God's telephone number, because it contains the very clear promise, Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. The Lord's Prayer that we're going to be studying during the course of this summer begins with a very simple statement about how, who God is. Jesus invites us to say, Our Father, when we pray. And the key to understanding the Lord's Prayer is understanding what this phrase means. Now, first of all, when you say, Our Father in heaven, you are admitting that you're not praying alone. To begin with, the word our means that you're in a fellowship, like First Lutheran Church or like Word of Life, where I'm at today, and a community of God's people all around the world. This is important because it's very easy to become me-centered in our prayers. But when you say our Father, you're confessing that your problems are no bigger or greater than anybody else's problems in this whole world. You're, you're coming and admitting that there are millions of people around this world who have concerns as great as yours. Now, when we pray our Father, also as a congregation, which you will later this morning, we cease to become individuals coming to a church with our own particular burdens, but again, we come collectively as the body of Christ throughout this world, sharing a common heritage with brothers and sisters, even more uh, decisive than a biological family. This morning, as you pray the Lord's Prayer, I'll be praying it too in another state. And there'll be other people praying it in, in all 50 states and indeed all around this world. In a true biblical sense, the only people who can truly pray this prayer are the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's popular today to say, well, we're all God's children, with a kind of glibness that kind of blurs the distinctions between those who know Jesus and those who do not know Jesus. But in contrast to those who would apply the Lord's Prayer to everyone, even to non-Christians sometimes, we must declare that this is a prayer that only true Christians can pray. This is not a prayer for Buddhists. This is not a prayer for... Uh, Hindus, this is not a prayer for Muslims. They have their own prayers. They have their own rituals based on their own beliefs. Those prayers belong to them. 
and not to those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. The Lord's Prayer is a uniquely Christian prayer based on the unique Christian faith. And it's intended for those and those only who have been born into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not a general prayer intended for the masses, but rather a prayer for true disciples, those who have been converted by the saving grace of God. The second thing you want to think about here is that you are to call him our Father. Now, when you call God Father, you are saying that there is someone up in heaven who hears you and knows you and understands and cares for you. And whatever a a good father here is on earth, your heavenly Father is that and so much more. Sons and daughters, you know, have rights that guarantee them access to their father. That's a big part of what being a father is all about. I mean, I have two children, I have a grandson, and and they don't need any appointment to see me. And I don't need any appointment either to see my Heavenly Father. Even in the midst of running this entire universe, I mean, overseeing six billion or more people, God still sees your troubles, your cares, your worries, your fears, your problems. He still has time for you. He has time for me. He listens to us as if there was no one else to listen to. The third thing we pray here is our Father in heaven. Now, that's kind of a throwaway line. We kind of like to think that it means that earth is where we are here and now, and uh, heaven is where God is. But that's not really what it means. The phrase, in heaven, refers to heaven as the center of the universe, if you will, the seat of all authority and power and dominion and greatness. Now, you you and I are on earth, and therefore we are limited to this little ball of dirt that, that floats around the sun in the corner uh, of a big galaxy called the Milky Way, uh, one of millions of uh, galaxies so huge that we can't actu- accurately measure it. Now, to say that we are on earth means that we pray from a position of weakness, a position of uh, insignificance, but God is in the seat of all authority and power and dominion. He's precisely where he has to be, in heaven, and because that's where he's at. He has the power to help you. I want you to think about it this way. It's our Father that speaks of community. Our Father, that speaks of family. In heaven, that speaks of authority. Or we could say it another way. Our, I don't pray alone. Father, I'm not left alone. In heaven, I don't struggle alone. Or maybe even from a third perspective. Our, I pray with other people. Our Father, I I, I pray to somebody who actually cares about me. Our Father in heaven. I pray to one who actually has the power to help me. Do you see how every single word in this prayer is important? Every single word is crucial. Our opens you up to a bigger view of this universe. Father encourages you to come to somebody who really cares. In heaven means that you don't have any problem that this Father can't take care of. He's a father in heaven. He's our father. 
and he can help. Now, without a doubt, today's message is gathered around Father. In fact, this is Father's Day. You know, a, a quick glance at the concordance shows you that the word Father is seldom used in the Old Testament. In fact, if it is used, it's not talking about any relational way, but it's always about how God is the Father of the nation Israel. But when you get to the New Testament, you find that Jesus, for example, called God Father over 60 times. Now, why that change between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Well, it's because the revelation of God as our personal Father came about because of his Son. It's not that he wasn't a father to the people in the Old Testament, but that was not the primary way he revealed himself back then. Now, only in the New Testament do we discover that God is now the Father of those who come to him through his Son, Jesus Christ, by faith. Now, when you think about the word father, it, it, it really has to do with about three different things. One, it refers to a source of paternity or origin. Many of you know that uh, song that a lot of people sing in church, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. And see, when you call him father, you declare that the ultimate origin rests with him. Now, secondly, father speaks of parental authority. In other words, God is God, and you are not. I mean, God's running the show. You're not. God's the father. You're the child. And we can't use the fact of God's love as an excuse not to treat him as a father. And let's remember, he's a father who's in heaven. He has the right to do as he pleases, even if his ways don't always make sense to us. And believe me, sometimes his ways really don't make much sense, right? See, he may send us pain. He may send us circumstances that frustrate us. So we, we must not act like a spoiled child when that happens. We should just affirm our confidence in his goodness and trust that he will do what is best. And third, when you call him Father, you confess that he is the God of tender, loving care. There's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. The word is hesed which is translated a number of different ways. And in the King James Version, chesed is usually translated as loving kindness. As in one of the passages, it says, thy loving kindness is better than life. Now, newer translators, translations take that concept and, and they add to that faithfulness. The word speaks really of God's loving kindness, his faithfulness, his loyalty to his children, a love that keeps on loving no matter how badly we blow it or how many dumb mistakes we make. God never lets his children go. He loves his children with an everlasting love that is faithful and loyal no matter what. See, when we are far away, he loved us. When we turned our backs on him, he loved us. When we broke his law, he loved us. When we go our own way, he loves us. When we say, leave us alone, he still loves us. When we ran, he followed us. When we hid, he found us. When we, we cursed him to his face, he just smiled and said, I love you anyway. See, that's what loyal love is all about. That's the Father's love. He's always near us, 
whether we see him or not, whether we feel him or not, or whether we even believe that he is there or not. Our Father, he calms our fears, he cheers us on, he provides us with everything we really need. He, he, he even lets us go our own way. And then he welcomes us back from that far country. Do you remember that story Jesus told in Luke chapter 15? It's in verses 11 through 32. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. It's about a young man who demanded some rights and took his inheritance and ran off to another country, and there he just partied hardy until he ran out of money. And when he ran out of money, he found the only job he could find, and he attached himself to a pig farmer, and the prodigal son ends up penniless and homeless and starving, feeding the pigs, even eating the pig food. When the Bible says he came to his senses, he hit rock bottom, and he decided to go back home. Now think about this. First, he came to his senses and realized what a fool he'd been. Second, he decided to return to his father. Third, he mentally rehearsed how he would confess his sin to his father. And four, he got up from the pig pen and he started the long journey home. Now, as he shuffled along that road back home, I have a feeling there was a question that was going through his mind. The question is, what is my dad going to say? What's my father going to say? Will he take me back? And maybe he walked with kind of his head down, embarrassed, a little bit humiliated. And certainly his fears were well-founded. Now, we often don't think about the father's pain when we read this story, but it could not have been very easy for that father either. I mean, first, he lost part of that fortune he had worked so long and so hard to amass. And second, he lost his reputation in that community. See, when a son leaves in the manner in which this son left, there's no way to keep that hidden. The older brother knew he left. The hired men knew he left. Friends and neighbors knew he left. Indeed, the whole village would have known he left, and they would have talked about it, because if you haven't learned this yet in life, dysfunctional families make for good gossip for idle minds. They talked about what had happened. They analyzed the problems. Perhaps some of the younger men took that son's side. Some of the older people probably felt sorry for the father. Meanwhile, this father knows all the talk. He hears all the whispers. And through it all, he struggles to maintain his dignity. But the worst pain, the worst pain was the simple fact that this father had lost his son. After all these years, after all those prayers, after holding him in his arms, after teaching him how to hunt and fish or, and pouring out an ocean of love, suddenly his entire world is crashed, is torn apart, and the father is left with this big hole in his heart. Words cannot express the pain, the sadness, the loss this father feels. His son has left home, and there's nobody who can console him. And after that, I mean, could anyone blame the father if he ever refused to take that son back? I mean, it's no wonder this son probably slowly walked home. He had no idea what was waiting. Now, the Bible says that when he was a long way off, his father saw him. 
That's a great moment. His father sees him first. And he was moved with compassion. I mean, day after day, night after night, he had waited and he had watched for his return. Nothing deterred him. Not the weather, not the jeers, not the jokes, not the doubting. Deep in his heart, he knew his son was going to come back. And then one day, it happened. He sees this solitary figure coming up over the rise, walking rather hesitantly back home. Now, throwing all of his dignity aside, the Bible says he ran. He embraced him, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Now, if you do a little word study here, you, you discover that he didn't just kiss him. This literally means he smothered him with kisses. See, in that one moment, all the questions that he was asking melted away in tears and hugs. I mean, no one could have ever predicted what happened next, and this is why we love this story. We read it over and over again. We cling to this story. We believe this story. We hope in this story. We stake our very lives on this story, all because of the Father's welcome to this prodigal son. I was thinking about this story again. There's there's at least five signs of the Father's welcome. One is that kiss, a sign of forgiveness. There's the robe, that's that sign of honor. The ring, that sign of authority. The sandals, the sign of freedom. And the feast, that sign of of a joyful welcome. In that story, it gets to the point and it says, so they began to celebrate. At the father's command, a big party breaks out. Now, how does the father feel about his son who came home? He says, we had to celebrate. Why? Because my son, who was lost, now is found. See, it was the father's love that made him run to that son while his son was still a great distance away. And that same love caused him to kill the fatted path, a calf. It was the same love that caused him to throw the party. The son had been lost and now he was found. See, that's what God's loyal love is all about. See, there is a God in heaven who loves you and he's called your father. Now, you've never done anything that could make God stop loving you. But but you don't know what I've done this week, you say. That's all right. God knows. God loves you. Some people say, well, I'm a long way away from God. So what? He still loves you. I've sinned. Well, he still loves you. Well, you don't understand my story. I don't have to understand. I just know God loves you. I don't care. I'm going to go my own way. Doesn't make any difference. He still loves you. And when you're ready, when you come to your senses, he'll be ready. When you turn around, and you will, by the way, you will, he'll be standing there at the door ready to welcome you back. That's the mighty love of God. That's the loyal love of God. That's loving kindness. That's faithfulness. Now, aren't you glad that this prayer started out, Our Father, and did not start out, O First Principle? Hallowed be thy name. Or, O ground of all being, give us this day our daily bread. We might not have believed that. That would not have helped us. See, this prayer is really the answer to the deepest problem of mankind, the problem of fatherlessness. The Lord's Prayer reminds us that if we know Jesus, we're not orphans in this universe. 
And you know something, ever since the days of Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the image of God within us has been marred by sin. I sometimes picture a, a piece of paper, and on that piece of paper are the words, God's image, in huge letters. Before Adam and Eve, you could read those words perfectly, but now that paper is all crumpled and, it, and it's dirty and it's torn. But it is never completely destroyed. Despite all of our failures, we still want to know God. We still want to find meaning in life, but we just don't know where to look. We were made in God's image, and we want to know Him, but our sin separated us from Him. As a result, we're left with a deep father hunger. Now, that's an interesting term, a father hunger. That's a phrase that they use to describe children growing up in a family without a strong, compassionate father figure. And there are a lot of kids that grow up this way today. Children growing up in a home without that strong, compassionate father figure, or I might add a grandfather or an uncle or some other male figure who steps into that role, sometimes so desperately want that father figure that they look for someone or something else to fill that void. Now, much on a much larger scale than that, this is the story of all humanity. We were made to know God, we were made to love God, but our sin separates us, and as a result, we too are left with this father hunger. Now, some people begin so desperate to fill that emptiness in their life that they, that they will do anything. They'll, they'll, they'll go into alcohol, into drugs, they'll go from one relationship to another relationship. Some bury themselves in, in their work in hopes that they can somehow climb to the top of some corporate ladder only to find out that the ladder's leaning against the long, wrong wall. They do that because somewhere inside, there's an emptiness that says there must be something else. Friends, you know that everything God has for us and all that he has is wrapped up in that word Father. See, in Jesus we have discovered the greatest news of all, that our Father is not some impersonal deity. He's not fate or chance or kismet or karma or whatever you want. He's not something mystical. He's not the force that's out there. He's not a God who's not far, who's far off and doesn't care. In Jesus, we've discovered the most important truth in this universe. Our God is a father. He loves you so much that he did something you would never think of doing. He gave his own son to die for you. I mean, he loves you inconceivably because he did the inconceivable. See, all that a good father is to his children, God will be to his children when they approach him in prayer. And that's why the most profound prayer you will ever pray only has three words. Do you know those three words? Our Heavenly Father. Friends, pray that, and if you really understand what that means, that is the prayer. And everything else is just a P.S. See, Jesus made prayer simple, because in the end, we're just simple people. If it were difficult, if it were complex, most of us would forget it or mess it up somehow. Yet these simple words of the Lord's Prayer are profound beyond our understanding. See, everything 
God has for us. Everything that he is for us is wrapped up in that word, Father. When we come to him in Jesus' name, we are not coming to an angry God, but we are coming to a friendly Father. So don't be afraid to talk to God. Your Father is waiting to hear from you. Let's join in prayer. Lord God, you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And by grace you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All things are ours because of things, because all things are yours, and we are your beloved children. Father, we claim no merit on our own, but we just cling to that imputed righteousness of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We make bold to pray the Lord's Prayer because Jesus commanded us to do so, and with his own blood he opened the way into your presence. We thank you for the privilege of calling you Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let me end with a truth to remember today. The truth to remember is simply this. In Jesus Christ, we have discovered the most important truth of the universe. Our God is a Father. May he bless you in this. In Jesus' name. Hope to see you soon. In fact, I'll see you next Sunday, God willing. Enjoy the rest of your day.